Let's bow our hearts. Father, we are so, so grateful for you, your word, your grace, the abundance, Lord, of the incredible love which you bestowed upon us. We look at you, Lord, and we see your awesomeness. You hold the universe in the span of your hands. We see not only your awesomeness, but your powers. You could create all things just by speaking the word. You say, let there be light, and there is light. And you reveal yourself in holiness and power and might. And no man, no man can enter your presence. And yet, the psalmist says, what is man that you are mindful of him? You set your heart upon us. You set your love upon us. And, and although you should judge the sin we know, Lord, it's, it's your heart for us to be holy because it separates us from you. And, and we should have judgment, but yet, Lord, you're not willing that any should perish. We see that heart of yours that, that transcends your hatred for sin. It's your love for us. What an incredible thing, Lord, that, that we as a people so often just hate and hate and hate aspects of sin. We hate it in ourselves. We hate it in our neighbors. We hate it in our society. And yet, and yet there's something that transcends that, and that's a desire for salvation, a desire to see others come to know you and to worship you and to glorify you. And so, Father, again, we ask that you, through your grace, would speak to us through your word and knit our hearts to you to your purposes. We ask this in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, amen. Well, saints, if you would please open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. As you find yourself in the Gospel of John, cruise down to chapter 5. As you find yourself there in John chapter 5, cruise down to verse 19. John chapter 5, 19 is our text for this morning. And it's one of those things where as we went through these first um, verses, as, as we, we, we looked at them on, on Wednesday, we come to this area where we see here that in verse 17, Jesus says, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. He makes that statement there in verse 17, the father has been working, he has been working. And what does it mean? Well, in, in verse 19, it opens up, clarifies that Jesus said unto them, most assuredly, I say the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do, whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. We're here in verse 17, my father's been working, I have been working, but we see verse 19 that he doesn't work on his own. He doesn't work independent of the Father. And so in verse 19, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. And so what we're looking at here this morning is in verse 19, sort of answering verse 17, but I want you to see here that it breaks itself down into three sections. The first is the Son can do nothing of himself. Pretty basic understanding and so where Jesus said, first, most assuredly, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say the son can do nothing of himself. The second part is whatever he sees the father do. So we understand he can do nothing of himself, but then we see that whatever he sees the father do. And then that third section is whatever he does, 
Whatever the Father does, the Son also does in like manner. These are the three sections that we want to be looking at here this morning, trying to get an understanding of really that clarity of verse 17. My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. It's important for us to see what this work is and what he does. Now, if you're familiar with the other Gospels, they're in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, verse 49, where Jesus was just this young boy of about 12 years old. And, and as he, um, the, the parents had, had gone and, and thought, you know, Joseph went one way, Mary went another way, Joseph went with men, Mary went with women, and the, each one of them thought that Jesus was with the other. And they actually came back there in Luke 2, and they were looking for him. And as they were looking for him, it was so interesting that they said, Son, why have you done this to us? I, I love the fact that they are so much like me. They, they pull off this dunderhead thing, and the first thing they do is they blame somebody else. And, and as they do that, they said, Why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Jesus makes this statement. He said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And this is what it means when Jesus says, my father's been working until now and I have been working. This is the heart. This is what's going on. As we see that, we recognize that he must be about the Father's business. Now, in verse 19, where he says the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, whatever he, the Father, does, the Son also does in like manner. This is not a monkey-see, monkey-do verse. You have to understand that. So often we think, okay, this is what he said. He said the Son can do nothing of himself, what he sees the Father do. Now understand, so often people, they take the Scripture, and rather than taking it in context of the rest of the Scripture, they try to use the interpretation that we take from the Greek into the English, which sometimes the translations are lacking. Sometimes they, they make sense, but sometimes they're lacking. They, they, they're, the, the Greek is developing its words that are, are more complex than what we do. And so what happens is we take this literal point where it says the son can do nothing of himself, but whatever he sees the father do. Now, within this area, I want you to see that he doesn't have to see the father literally do things. Why? Why does he not literally see the father? Well, I'm going to ask you a question. Did the father ever die on a cross? You know, was the father betrayed by Jews and then crucified by Roman soldiers? So if that didn't happen, then can you take this literally? So the answer is no, you don't take that literally. The father didn't die on the cross, so the son doesn't, because I saw the father die on the cross, now I'll go and die on the cross. So you, you understand that there's a literal and there's a clarification of what this is. Now, when it says that the son can do, and, and this is what's important, the word do is in the Greek, it's poeo. And so where, where it means that this, it, it means to do, but more importantly, it means to accomplish, it means to commit to, or to act on committing to. 
So if you take that word and you find it, I can understand it more as, as accomplish or committing to, now it makes sense. Because the father was committed to what? To the son dying on the cross. And so as, as he saw the father, and that word saw in, 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 the, in the Greek is, is the word blepo, and, and so we see here it means yes to see, it means sight, but it also means to perceive to regard or to take heed. And so what happens is when, when, the, when the son sees the, the will, what the father wants to accomplish, when he understands that will, he regards that will, he surrenders to that will, and then he seeks to accomplish that will. So understand as he goes through when he says that the son can do nothing of himself. And I think that's what's so important. The son isn't going to commit to anything outside of this unity with the father. The son and the father are perfectly, beautifully committed to a union in thought and in deed. And, and what is that thought and deed? Well, the reason he came to earth is what? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. When we regard the work of Christ on the cross, the salvation that God so desired for sinful man, they were united in purpose to say whatever it takes for, for us, God in his trinity, God in the Godhead, to accomplish the salvation of men Jesus says, I'm going to come to earth and I'm only going to set my heart, my actions, my purpose to that thing. So I want you to understand that as we're looking to this, when it says in verse 17, my father's been working till now and I've been working. What is this working? Verse 9 or verse 19, he says, the son doesn't do anything of himself. The son doesn't do anything where he says, this isn't the purpose. This isn't what the Father wants to accomplish. I won't step out of that will because the Father and the Son are perfectly united to accomplish the same thing. And that is simply this, the salvation of sinful men. And I find it interesting, and this is where, as we look to what our society brings, how often do we see Christians really want to do one thing, to see judgment of sinners. God, deal with the sinners. Take them away. We, we want this, literally, this paradise here on earth. When we understand that what? God has to destroy the whole earth. He's going to just simply just allow it all to burn with fire. He's going to make a new heaven. New, this earth is corrupted. It's been redeemed, yes. But what God's going to do is, I got to wipe it out and start over. And rather than saying we want paradise here on earth, what he wants this, I want paradise in your hearts. I want to give you my will, my peace, my joy, my purpose in your heart so that you can walk that out in your life. And when you walk out my will, my purposes, then you will have peace, you will have joy. And I think that there's something where John makes a statement in, in his epistles. He says, I have no greater joy than when my children walk in truth. Do you think the Father in heaven is any different than that? His greatest joy is that when we walk in the light that he supplies. This is what he wants. And so I think it's so important that whatever the Father is committed to accomplish, 
which first and foremost recognize is the salvation of sinful men. He knew when he created Adam that Adam was going to fall. He knew all things that were going to accomplish. He knew of the attack of the enemy, but he also knew what? That before he even created, he knew us, and he had a plan to redeem us. Jesus Christ, it says in the New Testament, was literally crucified from the foundations of the world. It was already a done deal to God. He recognized the salvation of men could only be through the sacrifice of a perfect, innocent relation to man, which is why Jesus had to come as a man, but yet he was fully God. And when he paid the price, it was sinless blood that bought us. And so as we look to this, I want you to see here that when it says in verse 17, my father's been working and now and I've been working, what is this work? Well, understand, he can do nothing of himself. There's this beautiful and perfect union of the Son and the Father. And keep in mind, a couple of passages I want you to be aware of. If you're a note taker, jot them down. The first is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 6. And I want to read to you verse 38. And the reason why, because Jesus makes this painfully obvious to anyone who reads this Gospel. He says in verse 38 of John 6, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. When I regard, when I recognize, when I take heed to what the will is of the Godhead that was purposed before the world was created, before we were born, I've come to accomplish that will. And that's the beauty of what it is. I've come to act on to fulfill that will. And so I want you to see here, I come not to do my own will, but I've come simply, as, as he makes that statement, to do the will of him who sent me. And, and recognize that even at his most desperate state, when Jesus was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was there, you know, crying out to God and, and, and literally praying so hard and so intense that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. He makes that statement in Luke twenty two forty two, where he said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And at that point, then an angel appeared to him um, from heaven and began to strengthen him. It's an amazing thing that what we see here is even in this most desperate state, he's making that statement, not my will, but your will be done. Another passage I want you to be aware of found in the gospel of John at chapter 10. And what I'm trying to do is this, I'm trying to anchor you into a foundation of what is Jesus is doing by fulfilling the will of God. In John chapter 10, beginning in verse 27, I'm going to read down to verse 30, but it makes this statement, John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand? And he says this, my father who has given them to me 
is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And he says this in verse 30, I and my Father are one, perfect in unity. And so I want you to see here that what he's talking about within this portion is this incredible unity, incredible equality as far as our glorification. We see here, and I want you to look at this portion again, because he makes this statement in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, they follow me. He calls them my sheep. And yet at the same time in verse 29, he says, my father who has given them to me. Do you understand? They're my sheep. But he also says, God, the Father has given me these sheep. Do you understand the unity? Do you understand the equality? Jesus says they're mine, but he says the Father's also given them to me. There's also this point of the unity and equality when Jesus makes that statement there in verse 28. He says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither, he says, shall anyone snatch them out of my hand, and in the end of verse 29, he says, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Do you understand that you're being held in the hands of Christ, and on top of that is the hands of God? And he puts this point of equality. It's not like, well, if I slip, then we need the Father. He's, no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So he's pointing out in this fact of our glorification, that yes, we are his, we will permanently be his as we put our trust in his work, and then nothing can separate us from that will that God has accomplished as we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So I want you to understand that he's talking about this beautiful equality of the Son and the Father in the work that they do and the things that are accomplished. One last thing, and I would like for you to turn there. If you haven't turned yet, go to the Gospel of John verse or chapter 17. In John 17, a couple of verses I want you to see because we're looking today at this equality, accepting the Father's will, seeing the Father's will, or simply where it's more uh, understanding where we regard the Father's will, we begin to understand and take heed to the Father's will, and then we seek to accomplish that will, or we're committed to that will to seek to accomplish it. Now, why is it so important to see what Christ did? Why is it so important to understand his equality with the Father, his doing the will of the Father? In the Gospel of John, chapter 17, I want to take you down to verse 20, and I want to read through verse 23. I want to read it through first, and then I want to go back and look at this again, because Jesus in this portion of John chapter 17, scholars call this the high priestly prayer. It's a prayer that Jesus makes for his disciples. He prays for himself, and then when we hit verse 20, he's praying for all believers. Look at what it says. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, who is that? Those who will believe in me through the words of the disciples. Um, put your name there. 
we who have read the word of God, who believes the work of Jesus Christ, he makes this statement, and I think it's so important. I do not pray for these, these physical disciples who are here right now, but I also pray for all future disciples, all future children who will believe in me through their testimony, through their words. And now he says this, what is his prayer for us? Verse 21, that they all may be one in unity. Note this, they may be one. The multitude in plurality may have a singular hope, a singular mission. They all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. You understand the power of the gospel is the unity of the church knit to the will of the Father and the will of the Son. This is where the power of the gospel comes in. When we are all wanting this, a singular purpose, and what is that? It's not the judgment of sin. God says, I've come literally so that they may be saved. He's not desiring that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. When we speak forth of the love of God and the plan of God to see all men come, when we're united in that, and I love the fact is that they may be one, as you, Father, are in me, verse 21, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, verse 22, and the glory which you gave me, I've given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. It's this beautiful understanding that he says, I'm praying for these people. What is he praying? That they may be one, that we could have one singular heart. And that is this, that when we understand what the Father's will is, which is what the Son's will is, when we understand what they seek to accomplish, then we find ourselves doing what? Can we be a part of what you want to do? That's all it is. Can I be a part of what you want to do here in this situation? And that's why he says in verse 21 that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. The, the same purpose that the Father and the Son have, we as a church, we as individuals, when we come into that purpose, it's an amazing thing what's going to happen. We see in that purpose, I want you to understand that when Jesus walks the will of God, what happens? The Father's glorified. And he says, and then the glory which the Father, which the Father has, and which the Father, he's given to me. And he makes this statement, verse 22, the glory which you have given to me, I've given to them. You understand, when we fulfill the will of God, the purpose of God, God is glorified, and he says this, come and enter into the joy of your Lord. We literally get to bask in the glory of God as we're simply walking out the will of God. 
And I think it's so important that, that we begin to see there's a unity that comes not just with the Father and the Son. And so often we looked at that, okay, I can see the Father and Son are united in purpose. The, the Son does nothing except what the Father, you know, he sees the Father does. What he sees the Father does, then he does also. The Father's been working until now, and he's been working. What is he working? Exactly what he sees. Exactly what he understands is that that will of God, he regards the will of God, he takes heed to the will of God, and then he acts on it, he seeks to accomplish it. This is what begins to happen. When Christ does that, we say, I can make sense of that, but how do we do that? How do we enter into that unity? How do we enter into that position of really seeing God working and moving through us? I want you to jot down three verses. The first verse I want you to jot down is Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Verse 3 is the key, but I'm going to read it in its context. So in Colossians 3, 1 through 3, it says this, If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You understand that it's it's like, like we just sang, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the heart. This is what we begin to understand. So we recognize I now died and my life is hidden with Christ in God. This is the beautiful thing that we are going to proclaim today that later on this afternoon, there are going to be some people who want to enter into that beautiful act of obedience that is known as the believer's baptism. And within that baptism, it's one of those things where we recognize I as a believer, I who have put my faith and my trust in your finished work, that I begin to see here that, that I died with you. My my. When you died, I died. And so as we go under the water, we're simply saying, I've been crucified. I died with Christ. As a believer, I confess that openly, publicly. And then I come out of the water and say, I've been raised with you in the newness of life, in the power of the resurrection. And it's one of those things where it's such a beautiful thing that we're going to have some people today that much like me, who've had that baptism of a baby, the baptism of their parents, and they're wanting to say, I want to do the baptism of a believer. It's not that I discount my parents, but I want to have this baptism of a believer. And it's one of those things where it's so important to say, listen, if I'm struggling to say, I don't want to walk in the obedience of the baptism of a believer, then, then pray and ask God, why is it that I'm struggling? But, but look to the heart of God where he simply says, you died. Your life, everything that you are is hidden with Christ in God. The other passage that I want you to be aware of, I told you three, the second one is found in Colossians or 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 and 14, let me read that to you. It makes a statement. 
For by one spirit, you were all baptized into one body. Do you understand that when we literally die with Christ, the spirit now comes and he now brings us to a new life. The old life is crucified. This new life that I have, I become not an individual that has died. I come back to life as a part of an entire body of Christ. And so we begin to see here by one spirit, you are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or whether slaves or free, for all have been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. So it's one body made up of many different parts. But the beauty of this body is what? Well, as Paul will go on to teach the church of Corinth, that the beauty of the body is this. The beauty of the body is that every part of the body is directed to and accomplishes the will of the head. Jesus Christ is the head of this body. And, and as I think about it, I'm saying, okay, well, I want to make a point that I want to move my hand from here to here. Well, why does my hand do that? Because the head already says, move it from here to here. It accomplishes the will of the head. And this is what the body does. We were all individual outside the body. Now we died with Christ. We're now born again into this new body, and we seek to do the will of the Father. One last passage I want you to be aware of for you note-takers found in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. It makes a statement, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God is in you now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he's not his. It's important to realize that our unity that we're going to have with the son and with the father is found what? Through the direction, the guidance of the Holy Spirit who lives in us and who will direct us and empower us. How do we know that we're in the will of God? And, and it's one of those things where all of these people are saying, I, I want to know the will of God. I want to know the will of God. What is the will of God for my life? Two things that you should be aware of, and I think it's important to, to recognize when it comes to what the will of God is. Two passages to be aware of. The first is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. In Ephesians 5, 17 it opens up very simply, says this. Ephesians 5, 17, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's a great question, huh? Ephesians 5, says, understand what the will of the Lord. He says this in verse 18, Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. What is the will of the Lord? Be filled with the Spirit. Be directed by and understand what the Spirit is going to do. Yield yourself over to the leading of the Spirit, the directing of the Spirit that comes through the Word of God as the Spirit leads you to His Word and confirms and, and bears witness with your Spirit. I know this is the will of God. And that's what we begin to look to. That's what we begin to see. The, the will of God is first be filled with the Spirit so that you can have the unity with God, the same mind, the same heart, and then you begin to act on it. And then what is the next? There's another passage found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, where it simply makes this statement, for this is the will of God. Wow, two passages says what the will of God. The first is be filled with the Spirit. The second is this. 
In, the, in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, this is the will of God. He says, your sanctification, that you would, would, would grow more and more in allowing the Spirit to take away certain things in your life and would put in new things that would glorify God in your life. And it's a process of this. The will of God is not for you to sanctify others. The will of God is for you to allow God to sanctify you. And we always have this tendency of thinking, well, I want to make sure that others are sanctified. Others, others need to be sanctified. I want to share with you a passage that we were right next to, but it's so important that you begin to see this. In that passage of John 17 in the high priestly prayer, Jesus Understand who's speaking. Jesus, these words are in red in John 17, verse 19. And as Jesus is speaking, he makes this declaration. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Jesus makes this statement. I walk it so that you can bear witness of it. See, how often do we just share the truth and share the truth and share, but our lives don't bear witness that we ourselves are submitted to this truth, that we ourselves are committed to saying, Lord, I don't know how it's going to accomplish, but I do know this, that through the guiding of your spirit and your power in my life through your word, that you're going to transform me to your mind, to your actions, that I can be fulfilling that. And then when people see my sanctification, what you have done in me, it's going to bear witness about the beauty of sanctification. Rather than telling them, be sanctified, be sanctified, it's me exampling sanctification and not telling them anything. Jesus didn't say, for their sakes, I sanctify myself and tell them that, no, he didn't say that. I just sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. As they bear witness of the work that you're doing in me, they also are going to do that. And I think this is what's so important when we see here that that heart of God. And so the beauty of the heart of God, it's so amazing where when we see here what God desires, one is for us to be filled with the Spirit, me personally. He desires me to be sanctified, me personally. But I want you to understand that the God has a greater desire. Now, now, understand, his love for me is perfect as it is. But there's a passage in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Just jot it down. 2 Peter 3, 9 says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. There's a promise, an understanding that God is, is wanting to accomplish that's huge. And he says, and he's not slack concerning this promise, this, this huge desire that he has for mankind. The Lord is not slack in concerning his promise as some count slackness, but as long-suffering, he's patient. He's long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you understand the key is, is really saying God my heart is this, can you teach me to love the sinner, not the sin, but the sinner, even though they're sinning, can you teach me to say, Father, do not hold this to their account. Can you teach me to have your desire that they, the Father, desire that none should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. 
this is the heart, and I think it's so important that, that why do you think that God has saved you? So that we could bear witness that I should have been doomed with the worst of the sinners. I was there, and God went to the uttermost to grab a hold of me. He chased me and chased me and chased me until I finally surrendered to his will and his purpose, and I received the grace. I received this testimony, and I think it's so important that we need to have our hearts knit to God's will. And his will is, one, and I think it's so important, I need to be filled with the Spirit, I need to be sanctified, but that my heart is, is that you're not willing that any should perish. You're long-suffering towards the sinner. I'll tell you what, we as a church need to get this because we're not very long-suffering towards the sinners. We're, we're in their face. We're, 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 we're there telling them you're going you're gonna to die. Yeah, they're going to die, but they already know that. And they don't need us yelling it in their face. What they need to know is this, that, that I was in your place. I was there, and, and I know that, and yet that God revealed this glorious, glorious truth of the work of Jesus Christ. There's a will he wants to accomplish. It's the salvation of the world. And, and I think it's so important that, in that, long, in that salvation comes with long-suffering, God being patient and patient and patient. So when you're praying for loved ones, when you're praying for neighbors, when you're praying for coworkers, when you're praying for those people that are are just irritating you. Know this. One of the things that you need to pray for, be long-suffering. Be patient with them as God is patient. It doesn't mean that you have to like what they're doing as you're being patient, but know this. God's going to work these things out in his time. And it's so important to recognize that, that God loves mercy. He loves to not give people what they deserve. And, 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 and so, we see this as the heart. And so when we recognize, and, and so I just think this is so important, the son can do nothing of himself. But whatever he sees the father doing, he's, he's aware of the will. And then it says this, whatever he does, whatever the father does, he does in like manner. He simply emulates. The, the, the son moves and is committed to accomplish what it is that the Father desires to accomplish. One last passage, we're going to close with this. If you would, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. A couple of verses I want to read to you so that sort of solidifies what we've been talking about, and then it launches us into this beauty of what God desires for us and has for us in this glory. In John 14, verse 8, Philip asks him this question, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient. I love that. Show us the Father. At this point, Jesus now comes, and he says to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me? You understand this unity of purpose? the unity of action, the unity of heart, the unity of mind. He says, show me the Father. He said, really? I've been with you all this time, three and a half years, and you still have not known me. In other words, you want to see a part of me that I've been revealing for three and a half years. Show us the Father. I've been showing you the Father. 
You understand the incredible statement. He says, have I been with you so long, yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? How can you understand that? Do you not, verse 10, believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. I have such a unity, such a connection with the Father. We have a unity of will, a unity of purpose, a unity of action, and believe it or not, the unity of glory. This is what's so beautiful. When you have a unity of will, a unity of purpose, a unity of action, then you're going to receive the glory that Jesus says was mine, that was with you at the beginning, and I'm now giving it to them. We have the singleness of purpose. And so he says now in verse 11 again, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sakes of the work themselves. He says, listen, the works that I'm doing, everything that I accomplish is not mine. And what I'm working is this. The Father's been working until now. I've been working, but the works that I do, listen, I don't do it of my own, but everything that I see him do, when I see it accomplished, when I understand his will, that is what I do. And so he makes this statement in verse 12, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, and this is so important, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. You're going to have the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be accomplishing his will. And how will you know his will? The Word of God. God, through his Spirit, is going to direct you to one point or another, and it's so important to see here that when the Son does the will. He sees the Father's heart. He simply emulates it. He does it. He accomplishes it. He regards it. He grabs a hold of it, and then he walks it. And this is why it's so important. Now, back in that text of John chapter 5, when Jesus makes the statement in verse 17, my Father's been working until now, and I've been working. We've never stopped wanting to see the salvation of mankind. And what Jesus needed to do to the religious leaders was this. He needed to show them that what they were basing on a tradition was not the heart and the will of God. And this is huge. You have to understand that their tradition literally went beyond what Scripture taught. Their, their tradition, what they were standing on, was beyond what Scripture declared. And it wasn't what the heart of God was. And this is what is so important when it comes to what today is. Remember I told you that the people who are going to be baptized today have both come to me and have shared the same thing that was a part of my life. I had this mindset of a tradition that when I was baptized as a baby, I was good. My parents loved me. They, they wanted me to go through this, this thing. And yet what? Taking that tradition and having it go over the word of God. The word of God talks about a believer who's received Jesus Christ now walks in this path of obedience. And this is what's so important when it comes to this because he was trying to say, listen, you guys have these traditions. You made these traditions over 
over Scripture, and I'm trying to break down those things to say, would you not hold on to all these traditions that you have, but would you simply hear the Word of God and walk in obedience? It's so beautiful when we begin to see this heart. And so as we come to this area, I just love it because he says, listen, at the end of verse 19, whatever he does, whatever the Father does, the Son does in like manner. When you understand what the heart of God is, walking in obedience, being filled with the Spirit, sanctification, then he calls us this, would you walk the will? Would you open up your heart and walk the will of God? And so we begin to see here that this is where the purpose of God is. This is where the heart of God is. And and I want to just give you this incredible opportunity to say this, that if you have never had the opportunity to walk in obedience as a believer, to walk in the fullness of what God declares, testify to the world, be a witness to the world, that you have been crucified with Christ, that you died with him as you're buried in the water and you rose again to newness of life. Testify to the world of this truth. And so if if you've only had that baby baptism, I want to open up an opportunity for you to come this afternoon at three and, and do the believer's baptism, that you could walk in that incredible obedience that others are going to be doing again today. And so um, the same thing that I had to do, the same thing that many of us have done, it's just a beautiful passage to see. And I just love the heart of it that he opened up this passage for us today that we could see it's not only just the the baptism, but it's what? It's it's everything in my life that brings about a sanctification that, that allows the old me to die and get rid of that and the new spiritual work that you're doing, Lord. I want the fullness of who you are. May we recognize and do whatever as we understand the will and the purpose of the Father is, his word to us, that we would recognize it, that we would regard it, and that we would seek to accomplish it in our lives. Amen? Father, we are so grateful for this, your word, for your heart, for you, your goodness, your grace. Touch us, lead us, Lord, to to simply walk in these truths. Help us, Lord, as we are filled with the Spirit, not to be directed or or led astray by other things, but to surrender ourselves, to yield ourselves open to the leading of the Spirit as you direct us through your Word. Help us, Lord, to walk in these truths. And it's it's an important thing, Lord, that um, as, as we walk in this point of obedience, Father, it was an amazing thing that as you you led a, a while ago for that word to be spoken of, of the, the baptism of those who believe in you, those who've made a commitment. And Lord, I, I didn't recognize the impact that it would be, how many people it would touch. And so we are praying, Lord, for a, a further moving of your spirit, a directing of your will, that we could walk in that simple obedience. And so, Father, now we lay our lives down at your feet, asking that as you reveal your will, we would do it. Now, not just in the baptism, but in so many things, Lord. We want to see you glorified. And then, Lord, you declare that we'll receive the glory that is yours and the Son 
as we're one with you in the purposes. Help us, Lord, to be long-suffering towards the sinners of this world, that we just want to be a witness to them of the incredible love that you bestowed upon us, and we want to tell them of that love. So do the work in us, we ask in Jesus' name, and all the saints of God said, amen.